Southwestern family of companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, our diversely and amazingly accomplished guests share their insights and inspirations to help us ignite our own. So let's invest attention together to breathe, to reflect and refocus, and decisively defeat that voice we call Mr. Mediocrity. Then let's enjoy moving forward to make a positive difference in our world. On today's episode, we welcome not one, but two guests, Lillian So, the founder of So Fit SF Incorporated, a fitness professional, an author, as well as Rebecca Maciera Kaufman, a former CEO and Fortune 50 global executive, consultant, author, and speaker, both with roots in San Francisco. Together, they have co-authored the book, Fit CEO, Be the Leader of Your Life, drawing on their experiences to help readers find balance and prosper physically, emotionally, spiritually, and mentally. We hope you enjoy. Well, welcome everyone to the Action Catalyst. This is Dan Moore, and we're very excited today to have a dynamic duo of Lillian So and Rebecca Massiera Kaufman here. Both of them come from very interesting and quite different backgrounds, and yet have come together to help all of us learn how to live a holistically healthier, happier, and more productive life without burning ourselves up at the same time being able to give more, love more, and appreciate more. So Lillian and Rebecca, welcome to the Action Catalyst. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Well, one of the fun things about our, our program is we always like to find out what are the significant pivots in people's lives that started at a certain point and then all of a sudden bring them together to the mission that they're embarked upon today. So I wonder if we could maybe start with you, Lillian, and, and just share a little bit of your, your brief bio, and then Rebecca will turn to you. Absolutely. So my name is Lillian So. I'm based in San Francisco, California, originally born and raised in Chicago, Illinois. So I'm a Midwest girl, but I've been living in San Francisco for about 14 years now. So California is home. I don't think I'll be going anywhere else <laughs> for the time being. I started my career in fitness, and that was, you know, over probably over 20 years ago now. I started out with a bang. I had a really, really successful career in fitness. I was big fish in a small town. You know, I was uh, making really great money and I was feeling really successful. And I did a lot of things I felt like were going to take me a lot longer, including opening up my own brick and mortar studio, having high profile clients, uh, really making a name for myself. And I really reached to that ceiling uh, in my early 20s, very, very, very early. And I kind of, even at that point, I was like, oh, is that it? Now what? <laughs> I was like, oh, I can't imagine that this is just going to be the rest of my life. And that's actually what brought me out to San Francisco uh, because I figured if I could do it in San Francisco, I could do it anywhere because I figured, you know, the fitness industry is really competitive out here. There's a super high cost of living. I would feel a lot of pressure to make it. And if I make it, great, I can do it anywhere. And then uh, the second, I would say most pivotal moment was after I got out to San Francisco, uh, first year or so, busted my butt, got everything, you know, back up to speed, so to speak, you know, got to a point where I built my business back up from the ground up, you know, my fitness career and, you know, had a full stack of clientele and was running around all over the city. I was, it was doing great. And I just started feeling that burnout, you know, that so many of us feel. I was also starting to feel a lot of dissatisfaction overall. I found myself replaying conversations in my head. I had my first panic attack. And after that is when Rebecca kind of comes into the picture because I started doing a lot of inner work, a lot of self-development work, which led me down a huge rabbit hole of therapy and life coaching and healing modalities and whatnot. And so after I acquired a lot of that learning for myself and as a professional, I started to pivot to go more towards that work 
integrative healing, coaching, et cetera. And it was at that moment when I was on my way out of fitness that I met Rebecca. That's fantastic. So we've got one path of the journey sketched out. Now I'll switch to Rebecca and get the other part. You've been an executive in some of the world's largest corporations, working in high pressure situations, dealing with all kinds of people, both inspiring and challenging. Tell us a bit more about your background. Let's see. I grew up in San Francisco. I'm fourth generation San Franciscan. So this is home. And I think that gave me an immense foundation. I've always wanted to live all over the world as much as possible, but plan to come home. So I think uh, in a way, the strength of having a multi-generational home allowed me to go all over the world. And one of my dreams was to work in France. So when I went to college, I looked for ways to work abroad. My summers in college, I did. I was a part of an organization that helped get uh, summer internships. So I got summer internships for folks in my college town. And then we got matched to college internships in other countries. And one summer I worked in Finland and one summer I worked in France. And I'd say those kinds of experiences are huge pivot experiences to show up in a foreign country by yourself, get all the work permits and the figure out how to communicate in a second language. So both of those are really important times of growth for me. And those were my college summers. I went to grad school. And after, after college, I lived in Finland for a year. And then I went to grad school. And that summer, I got a job in Hong Kong. So at this point, I'm kind of addicted to constantly uh, living abroad. And then when I graduated from grad school in business, I decided it'd be nice to work in my mother tongue. And I moved to England. I applied to 42 companies in England. I got 42 acceptances for interviews and 42 rejections for jobs. Um, very <laughs> kindly. Perfect record. Yeah. And no one wanted to get me a work permit. But one of the gentlemen I interviewed with, this gentleman said, you have to talk to much smaller companies because these big companies can't get you work permits. We all are want, we all want to meet you because we're happy to, but you really need a much smaller company. So he introduced me to like a, a person he knew that ran a company with 15 people and they were thrilled to get someone with my skill set and education. And they were willing to do the work to get me a work permit. So I did move to London and I worked for a company that had 15 people. Then when I, I decided my father was really ill and my mom called me up and said, time to, you need to come back. And I decided I really wanted to go into general management. So I went back to my business school um, at Stanford and said, so what's the best path into general management? And they said, you should be a product manager. So I started off as a product manager in a small financial institution called First Deposit Corps. And I happened to join a company, again, that was smaller. So I think those risks of not always going for the big name companies right off the bat get you great experience and more experience than you would get here in a large company. I was at Wells Fargo 13 years. I ended up running all of small business at Wells Fargo. And then I moved to City, and I was there 12 years as the president of the area, running 400 branches. And then after a few years of that, the company asked me if I would take over a troubled subsidiary that needed a turnaround. And it was a, a Mexican-American cross-border bank. So I did that for a few years as a CEO and then became chairman of that board and then moved over to an international role in 100 countries running the International Personal Bank. So all of those were really incredible pivots. But the meeting of Lillian, when I became CEO of that subsidiary, I was trying to figure out how will I ever stay fit when I'm commuting to different countries and to LA. And I asked my club, I had heard about this machine called the power plate. And I asked my club, hey, is there someone who is trained on this machine that would be willing to work with me just for 30 minutes, twice a month? Or And they found Lillian. And Lillian and I um, met. And within that year, I think we mind melded on our philosophy. And I had told her about this book that I had inside me, Fit CEO. 
And I said, would you write it with me? And she said, yes. So I'm going to get back to a theme that is true of both Willie and I, which is we really are willing to say yes, but it's been a lot of fun. You know, as different as your backgrounds are, there's some commonalities. One is your unwillingness to become complacent because each one of you at a fairly early age hit a point where you could have just coasted. You could have stayed where you were. Things were going quite fine. But each one of you has this desire to push out, to do more and to do more and not get complacent, which is brilliant. And as you just said, Rebecca, your willingness to say yes, because you never know what the yes is going to lead to. And looking back on those yeses, it's kind of like an aha experience, even though at the moment you have no idea what that yes might turn into. I think it's fantastic. Well, who'd like to take a crack at summarizing some of the key lessons in Fit CEO? How about we'll ping pong? Yeah. So first of all, one of the key lessons is if you want to get it done, schedule it. I had decided to leave corporate America and I knew that I wanted to do a couple of things. Um, advise CEOs, work on boards, and this third pillar, write and, and get the book done. Fast forward, uh, I finally decided to leave corporate America. I called the lamp. I said, I'm ready to write the book. Are you in? And we scheduled it. We met every Monday and many Fridays, blocked out writing the book, and we got it done in just a few months, which was pretty exciting. So I'd say one of the lessons in the book is that if you want to get something done, put it on your calendar, schedule it, work it, say yes to it, but then know also when to say, mm, it's not working. It's not hitting our easy button or it's not hitting our goal. And so those are a few things I'd say that we tried to live the concepts in the book. I'll let Lillian share a couple others that she loves. Yeah. I mean, we really, we really, really did like walk the talk as far as, you know, what we were writing about in the book. That's one of the main messages that we start out the book with is we're all such high performers and high achievers, but also a, a huge key to Rebecca and I's success is that we, you know, really know how to prioritize and we really understand less is more. And so that was really something that we really practiced that we can just find a better way to be more effective and efficient. So I think uh, another one of the concepts that we talk about inside the book is the real importance of paying yourself first. You know, Rebecca has been, you know, in financial services and, you know, in the banking world for many years of her career. And, you know, one of the advices that she gave me when we, when we used to work together one-on-one -on -one was to always pay myself first and then figure it out from there. And no one had ever said that to me before. And it just blew my mind at the time. And this was like, you know, probably a decade ago now. And I was like, oh, right. Like, of course, like, thank you so much for saying that. I think intuitively I had always known that and maybe I was already practicing that. But hearing that from someone who is so high up and so accomplished, I was like, oh, this is legit. Okay. Like I can actually live by this too. And so that also made it into the book as well. And, and I see that uh, as applying to so many different things, right? Pay yourself first, even when you're on an airplane and they go through all the safety emergency stuff. They always say, put on your oxygen mask first before you, you know, take care of your child or your friend or whoever. You know, I really have seen this applied to so many areas of my life. And this is the way we teach it too, whether it's paying yourself literally financially, you know, after you get your paycheck, paying yourself in terms of self-care, making sure that you are literally taking care of your basic needs, making sure that you're taking care of your body and your mind and your heart before you go and take care of your company or your household, uh, really making sure that you pay yourself first, uh, whether it's just, again, paying attention to yourself before we pay attention to everybody else, because that's kind of what tends to happen when we're out here running, running things. So I would say, you know, less is more and pay yourself first. Those are really, really uh, big things that are in the book that 
I believe that has really made an impact on my life as well, that, and that I continue to teach my clients as well. I think that's awesome insight, particularly the notion that anyone that's ever been a caregiver knows that if they're not healthy and fit and mentally okay, they can't be any kind of a caregiver. Right. Well, along the way, I mean, you both have had stellar careers. The impact of this book and other books that I know are in your, in your heads is going to be magnificent going forward. But you've hit brick walls, I'm sure, along the way. So I wonder if you could each share maybe a, a strategy of, first of all, resilience when you hit that unexpected setback that just knocks you back. And then some things that you think are, are helpful for our listeners, because people that are striving things are going to hit those brick walls from time to time. So hitting a brick wall, what does one do? How do you get your resilience back? So this is something that I would say in, you know, I've had teams of 5,000, teams of 2,000, you name it. I've had more people sit in my one-on-ones telling me that they're hitting a brick wall or uh, don't know how to resolve something. And I have always said, bring a ladder. Just climb right over that wall. I mean, do not hit your head against the wall. It is just going to hurt you. I think I have navigated my career and I think I've navigated helping others by either you bring a ladder and you climb over that brick wall or you find a door or you find a window because head on um, hitting a brick wall is really hard. And so there are many, many examples of that, but it basically is a way to step back and, and look at that wall with perspective. And say, what am I really hitting? Is it internal? Is it real? If it's real, you know, there are ways to solve it with help, with expertise. We actually have a chapter on uh, in the book about managing crises, because that's often what happens. You hit a brick wall in a crisis. And it often comes from what you just described. You haven't done the self-care. So there is no resiliency inside. And all you see are brick walls. When in fact, someone else who might have slept might have a little more perspective. All they see are doors and windows or ladders. So, you know, I will usually, um, if I'm really hitting a brick wall, it's time to take a break and step back and assess or reassess, do anything with an R in in some ways, reset, renew, rest. Reflect. (laughs) Reflect. Yeah. All these different R's. We have some chapters on this as well about how do you press the reset button and how important that is. So I'd say those are the things, you know, first to get resiliency, you have to fill up your own bucket with the rest and the reset and the reflection. Then when you step back, say, do I need help with this problem? Because two minds or three minds might be better than one. So then you pick up your phone and call a friend or a colleague, or you get some, read some work on expertise around that kind of wall. And I share in the book, in one of our chapters in the section that I write a lot about calling up as a planning process to people who are experts. When do you reach out to those experts, you know, to get the information to figure out maybe how to build that ladder over the wall. So I think there are many tools to get through brick walls. Well, early on, I spent a lot of time hitting my head against the brick wall. And I did that because it felt so good every time I'd stop. (laughs) So anyway, Lillian, what would you add to that brilliant set of advices there? Yeah, I mean, I love that Rebecca left off, you know, talking about using a lot of tools because that's really, really what it comes down to, right? When you hit that brick wall, it's like, oh man, it's all right, we're going to have to bust out a lot of tools to either tear this down or climb over it or find a window or something, you know? And the first thing that comes to me as a tool around resiliency is practicing gratitude. When you're coming up against the brick wall, it feels very defeated. It feels very frustrating. It feels painful. It feels stuck. You feel just Like there's just no way out, you know, and that resilience starts to fade fast and that it's just really impossible for you to be grateful and 
be in a crisis, you know, at, at the same time, right? Because like those two parts, you know, can't like work at the same time. So for me, when I find myself hitting that wall or any of my clients start to hit that wall or they feel that sense of defeat, uh, one of the things that I have them go to is gratitude. You know, and let's find ways. And, and, and I don't mean this in like a, oh, let's just override and positive think our way out of this, or let's just ignore the brick wall and just instead focus on all the things that you're grateful for. Oh, we're hitting a brick wall in our career. Well, let's be grateful that you slept eight hours tonight and that you have food on your table. That's not what I mean. Uh, But what I mean is that like, okay, like how grateful am I that I have this opportunity to actually bring in more resources, reach out to my network, give my community an opportunity to support me right now? How grateful am I that I actually have a, a team that I can work out these problems with that I can actually go to and, uh, you know, try to get and try to get a brainstorm session going with, you know, how grateful am I that I actually have an able, healthy body that I can go out for a walk and a jog and to clear my mind when I'm feeling just so overwhelmed with all the things that are not working right now. And when we come into that state of gratitude, all of a sudden the field of vision starts to open and then we're able to find that ladder. We're able to find that window. And so that is my two cents around hitting brick walls. And, you know, what do we do, you know, to stay resilient? I think it's all impressive advice. It's so important. And each of you came back to the idea that there are other people in our lives that we can turn to, that if we get too much tunnel vision and thinking it's all about me and my problem, we miss the perspectives that those that love us and care about us can bring, even those that sometimes are harsh to us, it's not because they're ill-intentioned. They're pushing us to do the best that we can do. Do either of you or both of you, could you share your morning routine? How do you start your day? How do you, how do you get the engine kick started? Oh my gosh. I have so many things that I do <laughs> to get my morning going. <laughs> you know, I really believe that your day starts with how you start it, right? And so I have a few different things that I use right away, just even with my wake up process. So I have a wake up light and I sleep on an Uller, which is a temperature regulating pad. And so what I do is uh, it's all, you know, programmable and schedulable. So if I wake up at 630 in the morning, my alarm clock uh, is not really a sound, it's a light. So the light gradually starts to get brighter and brighter and brighter in my room. Uh, starting at six in the morning so that by 630, which is the time that I want to wake up, it's at peak brightness. So the idea there is that it mimics daylight, the sun coming through the window. So you kind of naturally wake up with the light hitting your eyes versus getting a blaring, you know, air horn in your ear. Um, And it does make some sound eventually at the end. Uh, But I do that. And my Uller, which is temperature regulating pad, you can you can bring the temperature down or up. I have it set so that it starts to warm up around that same time. So it mimics your body temperature rising as well, right? So your core temperature is rising. So it signals the body like, hey, it's time to get going and we're gonna come out of deep rest now and we're gonna start kicking up our day. So I start with my wake up process already there. Um, And then from there, the first thing I do, you know, a couple basics is I hydrate right out the gate. I probably drink about 24 ounces of water right right out the gate first thing in the morning. Uh, You know, take a couple of my probiotics and, you know, a couple supplements to get going. And then I sit in front of a red light and uh, I write a page of gratitude. And then I sit in meditation for about 20 minutes just to kind of, you know, help me set you know, some intentions or help me, you know, have something to meditate on or think about uh, on top of all of my uh, busy schedules. And then after I'm done with that, of course, I make sure that I eat protein and fat (laughs) before I get my day started because the body and brain needs fuel. (laughs) Wow. I believe you've done that more than once. (laughs) Totally. Totally. I know. 
Rebecca, how about you? Well, I would say one of the concepts in the book that you'll read that I really love, which is immediate and imperfect action. So I'd say my morning routines, there's some strong consistencies and there's some that are imperfect. So I would love to say, oh, I meditate every morning, but I don't. I meditate, I, I flow through. So every once in a while, I'd say maybe once a month, I do a 10-day meditation course, mm. but I don't do it 30 days in a row. I tend to do it 10 days in a row and then that takes up 15 minutes every morning, but I don't do it all 30 days in a row. So I'd say I probably meditate 10 out of 30 days. So I'm, I definitely am the imperfect action person. I, I, there are so many things that I want to do every day that I would not have any time in my day. So I now rotate them through. So then I'd say about 10 of those 30 mornings, I get out of bed and I stretch and do different kinds of stretches. If you think about it, it's more like once every three days, I don't get up every morning and stretch, but I'd say one out of three, I do. I consciously, you know, do roll the shoulders and do all that. And then I do every morning have a really wonderful tea ritual. I make this amazing, yummy tea. I love tea. I make a pot of it. That's what I have. And then my breakfast typically is either peanut butter and whole wheat toast with some berries or like eggs and whole wheat toast and some berries. So always, as William mentioned, some kind of protein and fat and, and I love fruit. And then I read the newspaper for about half an hour, you know, all the headlines and what's going on. And, you know, usually check that no one's canceling my first meeting or missing the Zoom link for the first meeting. I've learned in this remote world, if I don't check, I show up to the meeting and everyone's like, where is it? Where is the meeting? <laughs> so I don't like it that we have to go to our devices, but I do. I mean, if I'm honest, I put it away all night. But at some point when I'm having my tea in the morning, I do go to my device just to check that in half an hour, it's not going to explode on me the first meeting of the day. So I think those are, that's my typical morning routine. It's intentional, it's real, and it's something that gives you comfort and gives you strength, each one of you. And our listeners hopefully are, are taking notes and making thoughtful decisions about how to start our own days because we want to get one shot to start each day and we want to start it the best way we possibly can. Well, time goes too quickly with you two. I want to ask you one other question. Uh, many of our listeners are, are cruising through life in a great way and they're achieving much and they're happy and they're joyful. But we have other listeners right now that, they're discouraged. They're frustrated. What, what advice could you give to people that are frustrated and, and not sure where else to turn it? Lily, you start us off? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are a, are a few things that I would say to that. It's funny. I was just talking with uh, my clients, my, uh, a group coaching uh, container that I have. And we were talking about optimism. And we were talking about how optimism is uh, not so much, again, about just positive thinking and, you know, just kind of trying to override uh, a situation that is hard. But it's really about the energy that we hold and the state of mind and being that we try to access. And so to those that may be in that kind of place, what I would say is really tapping into the optimism is, is, is also trusting and having faith that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, that there is the other side of this, that there is a a reason, a purpose, that this is all part of your journey. This is all part of your story. This is all part of the path that is perfectly made for you. And so to maintain that optimism, which is also to me, an energy of vibration, a trusting and a faith that it is all part of the story that is being beautifully laid out for you. And right now you may be part of, you may be on the part of your story or your journey uh, where 
you know, it, it, it's supposed to be dark. It's supposed to be a little heavy. It's supposed to be a little bit hard because without that part of the story, then there's kind of like no story, you know, because then when you're on the other side, you know, and you're actually in that place of, you know, winning, you know, you know, without this, you don't have the story, right? Because that's kind of like the hero's journey. Like you need that to have, you know, the story and the hero's journey. So I would say, you know, first optimism, uh, maintaining that trust and faith that this is all part of your story, that this is all part of a journey that's perfectly made for you. Uh, the second part that I would say is going back to the people thing, right? Uh, don't be afraid to reach out and ask for help and tap your community, your friends, your family. Uh, don't be afraid to, you know, hire help. Don't be afraid to reach out to professionals. Don't be afraid to, you know, let people know that you are struggling and to be vulnerable because everybody is hurting out there. That, that's, that's kind of one of my theories is that everybody is hurting out there in some way, shape or form. Everybody out there is, you know, moving through uh, their own demons and their own struggles in their own way. And you would be amazed at how much people are so willing to support you, so willing to relate to you, so willing to uh, help you get to the other side and, you know, be along that journey with you. So uh, one, optimism, trust the process, have faith, uh, know that it's all part of your story. And two, uh, reach out to your folks, you know, ask for help, be vulnerable, because uh, you just you just have no idea, you know, how much people are just dying to help you out and get, help you get to the other side. Love it. Thank you so much for that. Rebecca, what could you add to that one? Wow. Not a lot, given that we covered a lot. So thanks. Elaine. I, I think the one thing I'd add, I, I want to emphasize that everybody struggles, even if you think they don't, they do. They just they're not showing it to you. They're not showing you that vulnerable side, but everybody struggles. And if you don't have the dark, you don't have the light. You wouldn't even know what light is if you didn't have the dark. And I think Lillian covered that. The one piece I'd add is I always tell someone when, when they come to me and they're feeling stuck or down, it just takes the first step, just one step at a time. Everybody gets up in the morning and puts a foot out of that bed and makes one. We all just make one step at a time. This is a universal human ability to put one step in front of the other. And that starts the journey. Mm -hmm. This is so inspirational. Hard for me to believe our time has gone so quickly. Thank you both. Thank you both for your, your genuineness. Thank you both for the willingness to share and to help so many other people. Thank you both for modeling what it means to, to live a good life, not a problem-free life. Nothing so painful as trying to pretend you have no problems for the long haul, but your willingness to be so open and giving, you made a huge difference to me today. I want to thank you both for that. Great. Wow. You are, you've, you've done this a few times, Dan. That was awesome. That was one of the better podcast interviews I've done in a long time. <laughs> and I know you made a big difference to our listeners as well. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dan. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. To stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. Thanks for listening.